Well, you may be wondering what these uh, two stools are doing up here. <clears throat> it's not because I'm getting old. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Dr. Rob Snow is going to join me here in a little bit. Uh, he spoke last Sunday. And um, you might remember that uh, <clears throat> last week, uh, if you were here, if you were not here, I really encourage you to listen uh, to the message on our church website. Um, a tremendous message uh, from, that the Lord uh, gave to you last week, Rob. Uh, but Rob brought up a compelling message to us last Sunday about what it means uh, to be holy. To be, uh, to be holy means to be set apart for God. Okay, we, we all get that. To be holy means that we've been set apart for God. And over the last couple of weeks, we've learned that holiness is not primarily about, um, about moral purity or behavior. That's part of it, but that's not the essential meaning of the word holy. The word holy refers to something that is set apart for God, something that is unique, something that's uh, separated from that which is common and consecrated to God for a special purpose that he has in mind. And I gave you an example of this with my Bible, uh, the Bible that Pearl Gregg had uh, rebound for me and just it's a lovely book. I love it. And I talked about this last week, but I kind of consider my Bible set apart from all other Bibles because uh, of the use I make of it. It's, I have my quiet time uh, with this Bible. I, I, I have it when I pray. I memorize scripture from it. Um, it's well-worn, and it's really kind of become part of me. But I, I kind of think, think of it as separate. It's holy. It's special. It's unique. Um, you can also think of it like a wedding dress. Um, any ladies here ever want to worn a wedding dress? Sure you have. And so, you know, the conventional wedding dress is white. And the idea of the wedding dress <clears throat> is that it's not like any other dress. It's holy in the sense that it's been sort of consecrated for a special purpose, for a special day, for a special woman. And so this dress is not like all the other dresses that she wears every other day. This dress is the dress that she wears on her wedding day. Now, in its truest meaning, the word holy is a relational concept. It actually means that um, we have a relationship with God that is right, and we have a relationship with people that is right. So to be holy is to love God perfectly, and to be holy is to love each other perfectly. Really. So love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you do that, if you love God with all of your heart, are you going to do something that would, be, uh, uh, that would displease God? You wouldn't. You would want to do everything you can to please God with your thoughts, with your words, with your actions, your lifestyle. But if you love people as you love yourself, you would never do anything that would bring harm or offense to another person. And so uh, the Bible actually says, live in such a way that you please your neighbor. So that's really the essence of what it means to be holy. So God says to his people, 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, be holy as I am holy. It says that in the Old Testament in Exodus. God says, you be holy as I am holy. Be a reflection of me. And so that means holiness is not optional. Some people think, well, there's some people that are just kind of holy people. There could be a holy woman, a holy man, you know, and they're kind of set apart from the rest of us ordinary Christians. Well, that's really not the way the Bible looks at it. Uh, the Bible actually says that all of us have been set apart. All of us are saints. Now, Dr. Snow taught us last week, though, that holiness is not just 
mean, it doesn't just mean to be set apart. And it's not just something to be held on to privately. Like, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to separate myself from everybody and everything around me, and I'm going to go live somewhere on a hill, you know, in a, in a little cottage, and, and so I won't be tainted by the world. That is not the biblical idea of what it means to be holy. Now, yes, you can do that for a period of time. There's nothing wrong with that, going into a desert place, so to speak. But the real holiness that the Bible talks about and that Jesus showed us was that it's not private. It's meant to be contagious. It's meant to rub off on other people. Jesus was holy, and yet he hung out with unholy people. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners, and he was criticized for it, but he knew what he was doing. So Jesus came into this world for a purpose. Jesus' holiness was for a purpose. In Luke 19, he accepts an invitation to go to the home of a despised tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. Jesus did this kind of thing all the time. And he was criticized for it by the religious folks. Like, doesn't he know what kind of a man this is? And Jesus did this because he said, I came to seek and to save, to redeem what was lost. That was the purpose of him coming into the world and of him being holy. The Bible says that Jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. He was sinless, and yet he hung out with sinners. So Jesus' purpose was to position himself in places and among people, and insert himself into situations where he was needed the most. He wanted his holiness to catch on and to be transferred to those who would believe in him and follow him. So in this series of messages on holiness that we've been doing called Transformed, it's really about what is the purpose of you being holy, really. Every one of us should pursue holiness, but what is the purpose for which God wants you to be holy? So last week, Rob, Rob, you might as well come on up. Uh, Rob told us a story about a neighbor whose four pit bulls got loose <laughs> and attacked a woman who was walking a dog and got bitten, and I think the dog was injured as well. And Rob's going to give a recap of that story because some of you may not have heard that story. It was on the news uh, but he's going to give us a recap, and then you're going to tell us the rest of the story, Rob, and it's, it's kind of interesting, so uh, I'm going to let Rob take it away for a bit. So uh, it was in the news, um, well, actually, I first found out about it. I was out of town, and Jen called me and said, oh, there's police cars down the street, and, and uh, she was just kind of telling me what was unfolding in our neighborhood, and and uh, we knew the house because that's been uh, a thing that sometimes occurs uh, at, at that particular house. <laughs> and uh, so um, I came home and uh, we found out, we were trying to figure out what had happened, but then it was in the news the next day that uh, these uh, four dogs got out. I think it's a mixture of Rottweilers and pit bulls, four of them, and uh, went after a, a, a passing by dog, and uh, mainly the dog, but the owner jumped in and, and she got bit as a result of that. 
And um, you remember in the sermon last week, I talked about, you know, what would be kind of a response to that. And uh, you want to keep separation and boundaries. Obviously, those dogs need to be looked after. And so one response would be, well, if those dogs get out again, I'm going to call animal control and make sure that they, you know, stay exactly where they need to be or better yet, get rounded up and taken away. And um, so that's one way to look at it. Another one was, which came to me actually in the sermon itself. I wasn't really sure where I was going with the story until I think the Lord spoke to me and said, another response could be, what about just going down and talking to the person and saying, hey, can I help you with your fence? And you remember I raised that as, that would be a good holy response. Go into an, a, a very suspect context and share God's love and and so later that day I was like I guess maybe I should go down to this person's house um, but I was very scared like I was petrified actually and uh, and I, I could hear something in my kind of mind saying you may not survive <laughs> he, he will actually probably just beat you up and, uh, well, we can imagine who's telling us that. I think the enemy's all over that one when we're thinking about going into an unfamiliar territory to show God's love. But I said, Jen, we've got a life insurance policy. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go down and knock on this door. And uh, so, sure enough, there was somebody out already started on the fence. And uh, I said, you know, I'm dressed like this anyway. If you know the context, anyway, so, um, she <laughs> could have been more casual, but anyway, I went down and I said, hey, I'm, I'm Rob from down the, down the road, um, and he's like, oh, I don't live here, and I was like, oh, okay, um, but I'll get the owner for you, so the door's kind of half open, and he yells, I'll call him Joe, he's like, hey, Joe, there's someone here to see you, and he's like, who is it? <laughs> And I was like, oh, this is not going to go well. <laughs> um, so Joe comes out and, and says, I said, hey, I'm Rob from down the street. Sorry about, you know, this thing that has happened to you here with the dogs. And, and uh, his count, as soon as he, he was on edge when he came out, I was on edge because I didn't know what was going to happen to me. It turned out actually he's an, a former MMA fighter. So that's... <laughs> mixed martial arts, um, and when you see him, I believe that, that he could be an MMA fighter, and, and I am not, so <laughs> that would, so I had, well, warranted fears, but anyway, so, uh, so he came out, and he's like, oh, yeah, this is awful, I, what had happened is, is uh, the dogs actually, someone was house-sitting, they stepped out, and one of the dogs just jumped up and flicked the handle of the door, because it was a latch, and it sprung open, he showed me how it springs open when, when it's unlatched, and then they just got out, so that was the context, the media made it sound like the fence was the problem, but it, it was, the dogs just opened the door, but anyway, um, and so, whatever, there's a whole context to that story and uh, so he says to me so what do you do and I said well I'm a professor I teach religious studies um, you know Christian stuff and he's like oh you know the Messiah I was like yes I do <laughs> Jesus and he's like he's a total Christian he would express his faith maybe a little bit differently than you or I would in the way he describes how God works in his life 
Um, but, but he's on the journey, and the stories he tells of him praying for people and bringing people to the Lord, like, it was just amazing. So, so here's a, fe- not, he, he's like the only other believer, at least that I'm aware of, and I know quite a few of the neighbors on the street. So that was neat, very unexpected outcome there, and I said, well, let's get together. He said, come down anytime, and, and let's <laughs> chat. So pretty cool, eh? When, but imagine if I was like, just gave in to my fear and said, no, I'm not going to go near this person's house so so you had enough sense to have fear yeah yeah but not be yeah ruled by it exactly so yeah i wanted rob to share that because uh we met this week for coffee and you told me the rest of the story about about going over there so rob's going to hang out with me up here and he said he'd let me do most of the talking um didn't you say that okay yeah. uh you okay. said that but I just thought, <laughs> I just thought it's, it's amazing what God can do um, through us if we'll determine that we're not only going to be holy in the sense of being separate, but that if we'll take the next step and try to be a holy presence before people. And if you think, again, holiness is relational, right? It's about loving God, and it's about loving people. And, and so uh, I, I came across this poem. I'd heard it years ago, and I Googled it and came up with it. It's by a guy called Edwin Markham. And it says this, quote, He drew a circle that shut me out. Heretic rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle and took him in. And so that's really what holiness is. You know, like we're, we're bounded by God all around us. You know, he's above us, below us, before us, behind us. He's all around us. And there's this holy presence that we carry with us. And, 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 but the idea, though, is that we want to enlarge that circle. And so holiness really is love in action. That's really what it looks like. And so holiness en- enlarges the circle of friendship in our neighborhoods. That's why we're promoting this neighborhood outreach. We want to do it all summer, all winter, uh, just reaching out and praying. Say, God, what are the opportunities for me to reach out for you. So in a sense, um, the idea is that if you're holy, it means you've got the life of God in you. God has breathed life into you. You have eternal life. And so the idea then is that we want to bring life and bring renewal and bring hope to everybody around us. And so this Bible, as I said, is holy to me. So it's kind of interesting. I can explain to you what, what a Bible is. You know, you could explain to me what a Bible is, most of you, I think. You know, but that doesn't tell what the purpose of the Bible is. So I can say, well, the Bible, you know, it's got 66 books, uh, 20, uh, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. The older is written primarily like Hebrew, Aramaic, and New Testament in Greek, and all that. And I can describe for you how the Bible uh, um, was organized and that sort of thing. You know, that there's history books, there's poetry, there's epistles, you know, there's all this kind of stuff. I can explain that. But then you might say to me, but what's the purpose of the Bible? And the purpose of the Bible is transformative. The whole idea is the Bible is God's message to us. It's a message of God's redemptive love. It's a message that tells us how we can become holy, how we can be transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So there's a purpose to this. And the purpose is that we would spend time reading the Bible, meditating upon the Bible, letting it work into the pores of our lives, um, obeying it, putting it into practice. That's the purpose of it. So a description is fine, but what's the purpose of the Bible? And so here's the other thing. A wedding dress, 
You could describe a wedding dress to somebody. So a wedding dress, you know, you could say, well, it's white. It's long and flowing, and it might have a train on it. You might explain what a train is. And then you might talk about the material that it's made of. Uh, what, what do they make wedding dresses out of? Anyway, silk? What is it? Wool? No, just kidding. Yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter, does it? Okay, but the point is, is you could talk about, you know, what a wedding dress is. Are you laughing at me or with me, Blaine? Okay. Uh, you, could, you could describe the wedding dress. You could describe its design and whether, you know, was there a veil and all that kind of stuff. But what's the purpose of the wedding dress? What's the purpose of it? It is something that is to be worn on that special wedding day. And it turns this woman into a bride who's beautifully adorned for her husband on that one occasion. There's a purpose to it. And she wears that dress after the wedding ceremony, they typically remove that dress, and then she wears something different and doesn't usually don that dress again for the rest of her life. And so what's the purpose of our holiness? Like, why does God want us to be holy? Um, and it really is so that we will be transformed by the presence of His Spirit who lives in us, but that we will transform everyone and everything around us. So... Just while you're yeah, you going go. on to your next point. Um, it was interesting when I had walked back from that person's house, I heard a voice behind me, Rob. And it was another neighbor, and she said, so, what were you doing down there? Getting some drugs, making a deal? And, uh, and the thing to think about when we think about, okay, how do we show God's love? How do we bring this into our communities? Like, even small steps, that things that we do, um, that maybe are a bit out of the ordinary will prompt people to ask questions, which yeah. provides a neat opportunity then to, to talk about why you would show compassion when somebody doesn't deserve compassion or something like that. Exactly. So thinking about the purpose of our holiness, like some, there's some ways in which people make it easy for us too in terms of, well, why would you do that? And then there's a, there's a bridge that we can build to even to begin to think about sharing God's love with people that Amen. we're not even maybe intending to. Exactly. And so, you know, holiness really is, so think of it this way. We sing the hymn, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, right? We're saying God is holy. Why do we say God is holy? Because he is different than anything else in all, well, not in creation. He's above creation. He is the one who called everything into existence. He created the universe. He created you and me. And he sustains everything, the Bible says, by his powerful word. God is holy. He's unique. There's no one like him. There is nothing like him. Now, think of the sun for a minute in our solar system. Would you say that our sun is kind of unique in terms of what it does for us? Absolutely. And so the sun is unique. It's holy in the sense that it brings warmth, it brings light, and it brings life to everything on earth. How many of you love a sunny day? Do you love a sunny day? I do. I love it when the sun is out. I love to sit on my deck and, and read or you know, have a conversation or to have meals out there. I love being out in the sun. I love walking in the sun. But the sun is our friend right? Spend too much time in the sun, it could burn you, right? If you got too close to the sun, what would happen? It wouldn't feel very good. You would sizzle if you got too close to the sun. And so the idea is the sun is really intense. The sun is intense. 
It's great when the sun is in its place, but if you get too close to the sun, it could actually hurt you. And it's like that with God in the sense that God in his holiness is intense, really, really intense. And what God wanted to portray in the Old Testament was that he was intense. The Bible in the Old Testament, so I had a conversation with my son this morning. We had actually quite a theological conversation over the last few days. He was visiting for the long weekend. And he was saying, you know, so God was really like kind of angry in the Old Testament, you know, and you didn't want to upset him, you know. And he had this idea of God. I said, well, you know, God has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the fact is what God wanted to demonstrate to his people in the Old Testament was his holiness, that there was nobody like him. And so what happened is that Moses comes to God at the burning bush. You know when, when he met God, he saw this bush, and it was not consumed. There was this burning bush. And he approaches it with maybe a little bit of trepidation, and he comes in, and then he hears this voice, Moses, take off your shoes, for the place you are standing is holy ground. And he takes off his shoes. And he's trembling because he knows that this presence, this voice that is speaking to him is unlike any other. And so that's the paradox about God. There's this sense in which we need him. We need the life and we need the light and we need the warmth that he brings into our world, into our lives. But he wants us also to know that he is holy. So let's be reverent when we come into his presence. That's what the Bible means by the fear of the Lord. You don't just casually walk into God's presence and say, hey, dude, what's up? You know, like, you just don't, this is not the way that we approach God. Um, that's too casual. And so um, Moses at the burning bush, then the people. So Moses goes up to the mountain, and he gets the law. He gets the Ten Commandments and the law. And, uh, and it's kind of interesting. The people could not touch the mountain. They were told not to get too close. And it tells us that there was thunder and there was lightning and everything trembled and the people were afraid. Right? And then in the tabernacle, when they built the tabernacle and eventually Solomon's temple, it was the same thing. Um, the, in the tabernacle, you had the, the outer court and you had the holy place where the priests would go in. And then you had the most holy place, the holy of holies. And guess what? Only one person could go in there, and that was the great high priest, one time a year on the Day of Atonement, and he had to go in with the blood, the sacrificial blood. And so there was all this sort of ritual purity stuff that had to be done. And so it's really interesting that that holy place where the great high priest would go once a year, that was the, that was the hot spot. And you just didn't go in. Only the great high priest would go in. And he had to follow certain purification rites and, 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 and blood sacrifices and do all of this thing. And so God gave his people very clear instructions about what, what they called ritual purity. So like if you, if you touched a, a dead body or diseased skin or certain bodily fluids, you were considered unclean. And then they had a prescription about how to make yourself clean. That whole thing was really to, to teach them uh, it was like an object lesson almost. It was like to teach them that your God is holy and there's a certain way to come into his presence. So then Isaiah the prophet has a vision. Isaiah chapter 6. He has this vision. 
Now, a dream is when you're sleeping, and you can dream, and God can give you a dream and speak to you, but a vision is when you're awake or you go into a trance. And he has his vision, and he's swept into, like, the holy place in heaven. And there's these, you know, seraphim flying around, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And it's like it's a completely transcendent experience, and he's like, oh, my, I'm in the presence of the Almighty God. I'm in the throne room. And it's like he just comes undone, unraveled. And it's like, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. You know? And he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And he's, he quakes. And the, it's really interesting. When people were swept into the presence of God, you see this in the book of Revelation with John the Apostle. You know what the natural response is when you're swept into the very presence of God? Into the throne room? People fall down as though dead. It's like it's just overwhelming. God's intense. God is intense. And so what happens is then it tells us that there's a creature that came and touched his lips with a hot coal, and he was made clean. It's really interesting. It seems like everything in Exodus and Leviticus, you know, uh, in the Old Testament was to tell us that God is intense, he is holy, and that you must enter into his presence very carefully. And then Jesus comes along in the New Testament, and the Bible tells us that he opens the way And he removes the veil that separates us from the holy place. And now, through the blood of Jesus, we can enter into his presence without fear. And we will not be destroyed. Well, it's kind of interesting. So, in the Old Testament, the whole idea was nothing unclean would come into the temple. Nothing unclean would come in and corrupt or taint that which was holy. But then the prophet Ezekiel has a vision. And I talked about this a bit last week. Ezekiel chapter 47. He has this vision. And you'll see this on the screen here. And this is not, this is not the actual picture. This is just a drawing. Okay. Um, anyway, Ezekiel chapter 47. And Ezekiel has this vision of God's temple. And, in this, and, and visions were kind of different. They were kind of crazy. And in this vision, he starts to see a trickle of water coming out the south, southern part of the temple. And this water um, uh, is an ever-broadening stream as it continues along. And this stream of water, as it comes out of the temple, turns into a river, an ever-deepening river, so much so that you couldn't touch bottom and you could swim in it. And this river flows out away from the temple into the desert region. And as it flows into the desert region where nothing lives, it begins to bring renewal and life. And trees begin to spring up on the banks of the river. And then eventually, this ever-deepening flowing river flows into the Dead Sea. I've been in the Dead Sea. Some of you have been in the Dead Sea as well. Nothing lives there. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. It's fed by the Jordan, but nothing flows out. Water flows in, nothing flows out. It's the Dead Sea. And it tells us that this water that brings life and vegetation uh, in its wake as it flows into the desert, eventually flows into the Dead Sea, and life begins to teem inside the Dead Sea. And it's kind of interesting 
Ezekiel's vision paints a different picture, doesn't it? Because before it was the idea that nothing unclean would come into the temple. You know, as if we would taint or corrupt the temple. Now what happens is that which is clean flows out of the temple and brings life and renewal and purity everywhere it goes. And so Ezekiel's vision is kind of prophetic. Go ahead. So it, Revelation picks up on that in uh, Revelation yeah. 21 and 22 about the, the river of water flowing through the holy city. And so it's interesting. As we bring God's presence into the world where we go, um, we're giving people a foretaste, an anticipation of the, the fullness of the healing that God will one day bring. So right. it's not just these little random acts of kindness. There's nothing it's random true. about the it's work true. that we do as Christians, because it's actually a, a symptom, it's kind of a negative way to put it, a, a manifestation of God's saving presence now, which will one day be realized fully, right? And the Bible says the whole earth will be filled with His glory. Exactly. Yes. So it's, a, it's an anticipation. So we're partnering with you know, where God is going with the world as we engage in these things. Exactly. And so that's, that was the end of my sermon, by the way. Oh, sorry. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I should have read ahead. No, no, it's okay. See, Book of Revelation. Oh, there it is. Okay, sorry, it is. I, missed, I didn't. I didn't yeah. think that. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> great. Uh, but you know what? It is interesting because Ezekiel's vision really was prophetic. But here's one thing a lot of people don't know: is that um, that the New Jerusalem comes down like uh, from heaven, like mm -hmm. a, a bride adorned for her husband. The New Jerusalem comes down on earth. And guess what happens? Like the prophecies of the Old Testament say that the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. The whole earth, in a sense, will become a temple. But here's what happened. So I said Ezekiel's vision was prophetic. Jesus comes. What did he say to those who opposed him? He said, destroy this temple. And he was standing in front of the temple. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And they thought that he meant the building. What temple was he referring to? His body, and it actually tells you that in the Gospel of John. Destroy this temple. And it's very interesting, John 1.14, it says, the word, became, uh, the word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's what it says. John 1.14, Jesus was the tabernacle, the temple of God on earth. He was God's house on earth. He was God's holy presence. And yet, here's what's interesting, is he showed us that holiness welcomes sinners and holiness transforms sinners into saints that's the purpose of holiness so here was the temple of god on earth and then guess what happens is jesus says as the father sent me so i send you what does the apostle paul say that we are you do you not know that you are a temple of the holy spirit and god's spirit lives in you so shamal is a temple carolyn is a temple my wife colleen is a temple Rob, you're a temple. I'm a temple. But we collectively are a temple. And God's spirit lives among his people. So he's saying, you as the temple, you have a purpose. Not just to be holy all by yourself, privately. But to let it shine forth. And so here's what's interesting about this. In John 7, 37 to 39, on the Feast of Tabernacles... Jesus gets up, and presumably he's in front of the temple. He's teaching the people from the temple. 
kind of an object lesson. The one who believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He didn't just say within. He says, out of your innermost being. Out of. Into the world. Rivers of life inside of us that flows out of us into our world. I don't know if he was thinking of the temple, Ezekiel's vision of the temple or not. We don't know. But that's what pops into my mind. I'm thinking, as a temple of God, if I would be like Ezekiel's temple, and there's these river, this river of life within me, I am holy. God has purified me with the waters of life. I am holy, but I'm holy for a purpose, and so that this rivers of life will flow out of me towards all those around me, towards everything around me, bringing life, bringing renewal, bringing hope, and so on. And so this last scripture right here, 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, uh, the Apostle Peter says to the people, come and be God's living stones. Like each of us is a stone in the temple. We're continually being assembled into a sanctuary for God. For now you serve, we serve, all of us as holy priests, and we offer up spiritual sacrifices. And then the next verse, but you are God's chosen treasure, set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light, and now he claims you as his very own. Now look at this part. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. I am a temple. I am a house of God. I am to let his light shine in me and through me and let the waters of life flow in me and through me into the world so we can declare his praise um, to our world. And so, don't be like the Dead Sea. <laughs> be like Ezekiel's temple. Really, that's really what holiness... I think that's really what we're trying to say. And, and Rob actually gave me the idea because when, when uh, Rob, when um, I had asked you if you could bring one of these messages and uh, you said here's what I'm thinking where I'm thinking of going with it and I never had that idea of, of putting the stress on we're holy for a purpose and, and that is to do what Jesus did who was a friend of sinners um, he welcomed sinners and his holiness was contagious and he who was clean uh, purified that which was unclean and uh, yeah and he brought the presence of God with him everywhere he went um, do you want anything? Yeah, just to, yeah. I got the idea from Kent Brower, so these things work their Here way up. But <laughs> he wrote a neat little book on holiness in the Gospels, and his section on Luke uh, just stresses that outward-going nature of holiness. So it's so crucial because, right, we've, at least I've been raised to think of holiness as separation. Just one point to follow up with, uh, you know, the the push uh, Pastor Brian and others have been speaking about, about doing some type of uh, neighborhood barbecue, things like that. Like, all of those things are just opportunities to engage your neighbors. The point isn't so much necessarily about the barbecue, it's to get people together. But what we're finding as we shore up some of our relationships with neighbors around us, when, when their circumstances get difficult and they kind of know what you're about, 
then, then there's an open right. door that, that they'll actually come to you all of a sudden. And so it's, it's just to show God's love and to be available for people. So what we're doing is organizing the, the barbecue with, um, with some neighbors, actually, just as another way of, of connecting with them. You're and collaborating with them. To collaborate yeah. with them. So don't right. think that this is something you necessarily have to do on your own. It's, it's something you could actually collaborate uh, with other people and just kind of just being with them. Um, yeah, I think it's just, you just don't know. We, we're Wesleyans. We believe in the prevenient grace of God, God's grace going before us, the, the Holy Spirit working in the lives of, of unbelievers uh, before they even know who God is. And you just don't know what circumstances the Lord will orchestrate in their lives um, and the ways in which you can partner with what the Holy Spirit is even doing in their lives, although they may not be aware of it, to, to bring God's light and his salvation. I just think if we had, I mean, I can't back this up biblically, but I think if we had a, a, an awareness of just how much God is pursuing uh, the unsaved, and we could have spiritual eyes to see the ways in which he's at work, just wanting people to to partner with him, to hear his voice in the moment, we would just, I think we'd be amazed and, 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 and blown right. away, and so it's so important, you know, hearing the voice through the written word, but also through the living word, and Amen. see, hey, where can you use me in this situation to bring your holiness? Amen. Being aware of his presence all the time. And his voice. Uh, so we're, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. We're just going to sing in closing um, a well-known hymn. We'll th sing three stanzas of it. Take my life and let it be. And, um, you know, uh, thank you, Rob, so much uh, for your help today and your inspiration. And um, I, I just feel that uh, quite often, as I gather with neighbors, we just had a block party that we participated in just recently, just a couple weeks ago. And most of the neighbors know I'm a pastor and a Christian. And I think sometimes they pigeonhole us. They say, oh, you're one of those. You know, and they might think that we're, you know, uh, judgmental perhaps or self-righteous or whatever. And, and what we have to do is demonstrate that that's not what it's about. And that's not what it means to be holy. And I think let's, let's be unexpected. Let's do the unexpected. I think Rob going to his neighbor, not going over there to ball, yell, yell at him or to pick a fight with him, but just to go over there to say, hey, man, I'm really sorry for what happened, and then seeing a door open, that's doing the unexpected. And, that, and they go, boy, the Christian, you didn't do what I thought you'd do. <laughs> you did something different. And, boy, that sure felt good. What do you got that I need? So God bless you all. Yeah, and you know what? You folks, so many of you, you're, you live that way already. So I just want to encourage you, as, the, as Paul said in the Bible, do it even more. Just keep doing that. 